If I asked you right now to list all of the subscriptions you pay for, would you be able to? I really thought my answer to that question would be a resounding yes. But with the help of Rocket Money, I was able to find some sneaky ones I must have forgotten to cancel before the free trial ran out. Between streaming platforms, apps, delivery services, and even parenting slash kids subscriptions, though they all seem like really small amounts, when pulled together, that's a pretty big chunk of your spending money out the door. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year, with over $500 million in cancel subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. That's rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. Rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. The new year is here, which means it's time to start new habits and make those yearly resolutions. Mine this year was to get healthier and improve my quality of life, which is why I want to talk to you guys about Noom. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all and don't take into account each person's individual needs, which in turn doesn't really set you up for success. Those workout plans you pull from the internet don't think about your individual dietary restrictions, medical issues, or other personal needs. Noom does all of that before building a tailor-made plan that works for you and your lifestyle. It doesn't try to restrict what you eat and never shames you for wanting to treat yourself. And unlike before, I feel the motivation I need to succeed and none of the frustration that came with other plans. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy wherever books are sold. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. Scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird morning. Cup of murder. When someone passes away, their legacy and what they worked for will often live on long after their death. On January 5th, 1970, an unlikely revolutionary for the United Mine Workers was found dead in his home in Clarksville, Pennsylvania. A man who worked hard to make changes and whose death didn't stop them. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, Sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Joseph Albert Yablonski, or Jock as everyone called him, was born on March 3, 1910 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Polish immigrants. Jock started working in the local mines from a young age and, after his father tragically died in a mine explosion, became involved in the United Mine Workers to fight for safety and regulations. He was elected to the union office in 1934, elected as a representative to the International Executive Board in 1940, and appointed president of the United Mine Workers District 5 in 1963. He was passionate about his job and keeping others safe, but with passion and status comes enemies and clashing opinions. One such clash was with a man named Tony Boyle, who became the president of the United Mine Workers in 1963. By 1969, Tony's leadership caused an issue with the UMW. He was seen as an autocratic and a bully. Overall, he was extremely disliked. It became a common belief that Tony cared little for the actual miners and more for the mine owners. 
The miners wanted greater democracy and more power within their local unions and filed grievances and walkouts all over the United States. Tony faced a lot of opposition from the rank and file miners, but also a number of the UMW leaders, leaders like Joseph Yablonski. Jock, who by now was in his 50s, became an unlikely revolutionary for other miners. He used his power to make change, but never forgot that, at the core, everything they did was in the service of the miners. Miners just like him. He didn't think Tony should be in charge, as he did not adequately represent the miners. By 1965, Tony had had about enough of Jock's criticism and removed him as president of District 5. So a few years later, Jock challenged him for presidency of the whole association. Unfortunately, in a widely considered corrupt election that took place on December 9, 1969, by a margin of 2-1, to one, Tony Boyle beat Joseph Yablonski. But Jock wasn't done. He conceded the election, but nine days later, asked the United States Department of Labor to investigate the rigged election. He then filed five lawsuits against the Miners Association in federal court. What he didn't know was that, with his candidacy announced and one particularly loud screaming match at a meeting, came Tony's offhanded comments about needing to get rid of Joseph Yablonski. By September of 1969, Tony was handing over $20,000, money he embezzled from union funds, to an executive council member named Albert Pass, who was told to hire a gunman to take out Jock. He called Paul Gilly, the son-in-law of a minor UNW official, and two drifters, Auburn Martin and Claude Vealy. They bided their time and waited until after the election so suspicion wouldn't immediately fall on Tony. So, three weeks later, on December 31st, 1969, the three men descended upon Joseph's Clarksville, Pennsylvania home. The hitmen broke into the Yablonski home as they slept and shot Jock, his wife Margaret, and their 25-year-old daughter, Charlotte. As the new year was rung in, Chip Yablonski attempted to call his mother and father and wish them a happy new year. He got no answer and assumed they were out for the evening. Then, when Jock didn't show up for a swearing-in of elected officials, Chip grew concerned. He and his brother Kenneth, who both feared for their father's safety as soon as he started going against Tony Boyle, discussed his absence, and Kenneth decided to drive the 20 miles on January 5, 1970, to see where his father was. He walked in and found the bodies of his parents and sister having been dead for five days. The day after Joseph's body was discovered, 20,000 miners in West Virginia walked off of the job in a one-day strike, absolutely convinced that Tony Boyle was to blame for the slaying. When news broke in other states, thousands walked off the job as a show of solidarity for their fallen leader. And just a few hours after his funeral, a group of miners met in the basement of the church where his memorial was held to speak with an attorney and draw up plans to establish a reform caucus within the UMW. Joseph became a martyr for his cause and was about to lead to something greater within the union, but more on that in a second. When the three hitmen planned out their murder, they spent most of the day sitting on a nearby hillside, drinking booze and waiting for the Yablonskis to turn off their lights. So when they broke into the home, they were not only drunk, but not the brightest criminals that ever existed. So when the hillbilly hitmen, as the press would soon dub them, left the scene, they left behind so many fingerprints that it took only three days for police to catch up to them. Their arrest led to police uncovering the widespread corruption within the union leadership, 
that led straight to Tony Boyle. They discovered that not only did he orchestrate the murder, but that he had been embezzling large amounts of money from the union, a crime that would lead to his initial arrest. The police showed up to arrest Tony in 1973 while he was being deposed in a related civil lawsuit by Chip Yablonski. At this point, he had already been convicted of embezzlement and, the next year, added murder to his list of convictions. Two of the three men were sentenced to death and Tony was given three consecutive life terms in prison. He died in 1985. Shortly after his death, Joseph's attorneys requested an immediate investigation into the 1969 election, and 230 investigators were assigned to the case. While the case continued, Chip and Kenneth helped to form the Miners for Democracy, an organization that would have made their father very proud. Joseph's death rocked the union in a way that no one could have ever imagined. It led to changes and reforms that would ultimately completely change the way the union was run. It was a tragic price to pay for a positive change. In 1973, Josef Yablonski was posthumously awarded the Samuel S. Beard Award for greatest public service by an individual 35 years and under. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on January 6th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon, or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.